Praise the Lord. It's good to see you today. And Pastor Shane, thank you for the opportunity and the privilege to be here. What a beautiful church you have. I, I couldn't help but notice, though, in, pretty, in this beautiful church, you don't have a clock on the wall. And uh, most Baptist churches I'm in every week have clocks on walls. Some of them are huge. Uh, I was preaching in North Carolina. They had the biggest clock on the wall I've ever seen. And I kept commenting about their clock. And they kept saying, Brother Rick, don't worry about our clock. Just preach. I kept talking about their clock. I came in, I think it was Monday night, and somebody had taped a huge piece of cardboard up over the clock. And uh, I took that as a compliment, wouldn't you? And I did something real unusual that night. I preached an hour. I usually don't go over 55 minutes. But that night... That night I went an hour. Nobody said a word to me. I came in the next night and the cardboard was down. It just went up and down. But I, I'm so delighted to be here. I, I'm certainly not any kind of an authority on revivals. But after 30 years traveling on the road in revival meetings, I, I've, I've discovered something amazing. That Sunday night is the most important service of a short meeting. Sunday through Wednesday is all we're doing. Sunday through Wednesday. Sunday night is the most important service. And I pray you'll redeem the time and be faithful. I'm going to preach to the body tonight. I'm going to preach to the church. And so I pray you'll be here. It's going to be a wonderful week in the Lord. Well, we had a great start this morning. And I'm, I'm really pumped up. God has taken me in a little different direction in the second service. Um, and I, I'm a little surprised. Matter of fact, I'd, it's not even the direction I thought I was going to go. So I want to trust the Lord. I just believe somebody here needs us. I want to preach a sermon I've not preached in a while but I just believe somebody needs this today. I want to preach on the coming of the Lord. I just believe somebody needs that. And I'm preaching on this subject, taken, taken. And I want you to take your Bibles and find Matthew chapter 24. Would you do that? Matthew 24, I really had intended all this morning to preach totally to the body. But I, and I'm preaching to the body, but I believe somebody is here by the divine appointment of the Lord. Matthew 24, would you stand for the reading of the Word of God? These are the words of Jesus. Jesus is doing the preaching. In Matthew 24, I'm going to begin reading in verse 37. Jesus said, Matthew 24, 37, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came, now listen to this, and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be, say that word, taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be, say it, taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come, but know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. I'm preaching on this subject, taken, taken. Thank God for the reading of his perfect book. Please be seated and pray with me. Would you do that? God, for what you did in the first service, we give you the glory. God, thank you, Lord, for those that have gathered now in this hour. Now, God, I ask for your divine unction, your anointing. God, I pray that you would loose me and let me go. And I come against my enemy and every devil and demon spirit. And God, we just confess out loud right now to any devil that can hear us. We confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God, would you do the preaching? And I promise God will give you the glory. And we'll thank you for all you'll do in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 
1 Corinthians 15, 51 says, we will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I still love that great old story of the Sunday school teacher who taught six-year-old boys and girls in Sunday school. One Sunday she was teaching about heaven. She said, boys and girls, I'm confused. I need somebody to tell me what I got to do to get to heaven. All those boys and girls sat there. So the teacher said, well, let me ask you. She said, what if I sold everything in my house, had a big old garage sale, gave all the money to church? Would that be enough to get me to heaven? Those boys and girls shouted, no. She said, well, she said, what if I went down to my church every day and cleaned all the windows and vacuumed the carpet and washed everything in the church and cleaned it every day? Is that enough to get me to heaven? They all said, no. She said, what if I loved my husband and my kids with all my heart, took in all stray dogs and cats, never said a bad word or did a bad thing? Would that get me to heaven? They all said, no. She said, would somebody please tell me what I got to do to get to heaven? Little boy in the back jumped up and said, teacher, you got to be dead. You got to be dead. Now, folks, the truth of the matter is, that's not the truth of the matter. Because not everybody's going to die to go to heaven. For the Bible tells us there's going to be a generation that's going to leave this world without going through the graveyard, without ever having a funeral, going to go straight to heaven. For the Bible teaches us that one of these days, Jesus Christ himself is going to step off the throne, step off the gates, step down into space, step in the clouds. He's going to stop and shout. And when he does, the graves are going to open up. The dead are going to wake up. The world's going to get shook up. And you and I that are still living going to get caught up. And the Bible says we will be taken. Taken. Not abducted, but ascended. Taken. Not kidnapped, but caught up. Taken. Not raided, but raptured. Taken. Not taken by a criminal, but taken by the king. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more, and the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair, and the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Son, I pray I'm still one of those alive and well when Jesus comes, and I'll be taken. It's going to happen, church. Matter of fact, Jesus said it not once but twice. Look what he said in Matthew 24. Look at verse 40 one more time. He said, two will be in the field, one will be taken. The other left, he repeats it in verse 41. Two women will be grinding at the mill or the business place or the workplace. One will be taken and the other left. Students, I love that word taken. The Greek word for taken literally means to be seized away or to be carried away. But it comes from a word literally that means to be close to. Now, I want everybody to think about that. We get our word intimate from that word close. Now, boy, I want you to put all that together. The Bible said Jesus is going to seize away or remove or catch away a group of people. But the only people he's going to do that to are those that are close to him, those that are intimate with him. Y'all know what that means? You're not going to be taken just because you're a good old boy. You're not going to be taken just because you live in Georgia. You're not going to be taken just because you're in the South. You're not going to be taken because you're in the Bible Belt. You're not going to be taken just because you go to Maysville Church. You're not going to be taken just because you're a good student. The only ones going to be taken are those that have a close, intimate relationship with the one doing the taking. And son, can you imagine? I believe the taking could take place right now. 
Son, could you imagine if the taking took place right now? I'm going to tell you what would happen. Sitting over here, going to be a whole bunch of people leave all their clothes laying on the seat. Not going to need those anymore. You're going to get a brand new robe. Going to leave your cell phones laying on the chair. Can you imagine that, teenagers? A world without cell phones? Why, some of you start shaking just thinking about it. But I'm telling you, you've made your last call because you've been taken. Can you imagine what's going to happen? Folks sitting over here are going to leave their truck keys and their car keys laying on the seat. Not going to need those anymore. From now on, you're going to fly everywhere you go. And sitting over here are going to be a bunch of people leave their wallets and their debit cards and their credit cards and their checkbooks and their purses. Not going to need them anymore. Hallelujah. You're going to go to a place where everything's paid for and you are going to be taken. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you three reasons right here in the Word of God that I believe folks are going to be taken. Number one, I believe we'll be taken because there's a promise. I'm going to get good now. Don't miss it. There's a promise. Look what he says in verse 37. Jesus said, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Students, listen. That's a promise. Jesus said, watch the news. Watch the world. Because the world will look exactly like it looked in Noah's day right before Jesus comes again. Now, folks, you know what I believe? I believe when we read the book of Genesis and we look at what was going on in Noah's day, preacher, if they'd had internet, if they had had television in those days, I believe the news would have been just as bad as the news is today. I get tired of bad news, don't you? I've got uh, four little granddaughters and two of them live just an hour from me and uh, they've taught me a new language in the last, I don't know, six or seven years. Six or seven years ago, I didn't know words like Sophia the first, and, and I didn't know words like Doc McStuffins, and I didn't know words like Jake and the Neverland Pirates, and I didn't know words like Elsa and Anna and Olaf. I'm about ready for them, let it go, aren't you? And I didn't know all those words back in those days, but I've learned a new language. My kids have taught me those words, because that are grandkids, that's the, well, things they watch on TV. Well, I was home one day. I was off the road. It was a Thursday, I think. I'd come in from the airport, and I was watching Fox News. Every day, whether I'm in a hotel or at home, I turn on Fox News for a few minutes. I don't watch any other news. It makes me too raging mad, so I watch Fox News. And I was watching Fox News, and my little five-year-old granddaughter came in the living room and said, I want to watch Doc. Now, I know who Doc is. Doc's Doc McStuffins. So we had old Doc on the DVR, I think, turned it on, and she cuddled up next to me, and I'm next to my precious little five-year-old granddaughter watching Doc McStuffins. I didn't know after about 10 minutes that she left the room. I was watching Doc, man. I was caught up in Doc, and I didn't know she'd left the room. A few minutes, my daughter come in and said, Daddy, she said, Braylon, that's her name. Braylon's not even in here anymore. She said, you don't have to watch Doc. You can go back and watch the news. Brother David, I thought about it for a minute. I said, no, no, I think I'll keep watching Doc. It's a lot better than the news. Can, can I get a witness? Son, you watch the news very long, it'll make you sick to your stomach. You watch the news very long, you might lose your breakfast. You watch the news very long, it'll upset you. Can I remind everybody, and I'm not going to be long on this point because I'm going to heaven in point two. Can I just remind you how much we're living today like the days of Noah? All you've got to do, don't turn to it now. All you've got to do is turn to Genesis chapter 6 to be reminded what the days of Noah were like. And I'm going to spend just a minute doing this. When I read the book of Genesis chapter 6, I, I, I realize we're living in Noah's day because the Bible says Noah's day was a vicious day. See, he uses that word in the 6th chapter of Genesis when he says wickedness was great on the face of the earth. 
That word wickedness is so profound in Hebrew, it means days of rage, vicious days, days of demonic activity, days that we can't hardly understand. Paul used the same phrase in 2 Timothy chapter 3 when Paul said in the last days, perilous times would come. And those are days of rage. Those are demonic days. So the Bible says the days of Noah were vicious, like our day. And then I'm not going to be long on this. He said, second of all, the days of Noah were vulgar. For the imagination of man was wicked. And that meant morally wicked. That meant wicked when it comes to sexual standards and marital standards. In the days of Noah, men were marrying men and women were marrying women. In the days of Noah, they strutted in the face of God and said, God, we don't give a rip what you say about the standard of marriage. We're going to do what we want to. And folks, we're living in a day like that. And I want to say without, without batting an eye, I want to say I'm not preaching down to somebody who says, now, Rick, you don't understand I was born that way. No, you weren't. That's a lie from the pits of hell. God never intended you to live in that kind of bondage. Can I tell you, and I don't give a rip what the Supreme Court says or Congress says or the President of the United States says. God made men to marry women and women to marry men. And I kind of like the arrangement, don't you? That's what God said. So we're living in a day that's vulgar. Watch what he said. He said the days of Noah were vicious. Days of Noah were vulgar. And I'll give you this one before I quickly go on. The days of Noah were violent. For he uses the word violence twice in the sixth chapter of Genesis, which means life is no longer sacred. And of course, you and I know we're living in that day. But everybody watch this now, students. Watch this, teenagers. Watch this, adults. For the Bible says the days of Noah were terrible in those respects. But that's not what I want to preach, Brother Shane. For there's one area of the days of Noah that we're like today, like no other era. Look what it says in the text. Matthew 24, look at verse 38. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage till the day that Noah entered into the ark. Everybody understand what that means? Eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. That, that does not mean anything terrible there. That word drinking is not referring to a drunkenness. Here's what he's saying. He's saying they were planning their lives without any thought of God. They were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. They were scheduling their weddings. They were having their children. They were building their budgets. They were planning their homes. But God was not in the picture. That crazy nut is out there on the backside of the desert out there building that ark. That crazy nut's talking about a flood. Why did it never even rain in human history? He's talking about it flooding. So everybody went out to laugh at him. And Noah said, you better get ready. So all they did was go out, laugh at Noah, and then they would go do their thing. They would eat, drink, marry, and giving in marriage. Until the Bible said one day it was time. God put Noah and his family on that ark, closed that door. Bible said God broke up the fountains of the deep. Then the Bible said it began to pour down rain. And preacher, I got a picture of those people beating on that ark. But it was too late. And I'm going to tell you something because I love you. A man like me or your dear pastor or Brother David or any other preacher can get up and preach that this event's going to happen, that Jesus Christ is going to come, and folks will just kind of look, well, that's way off out in the future. I'm going to make my plans and do my thing, but I'm going to tell y'all, one of these days, King Jesus himself is going to step out in the clouds. He's going to interrupt life on this planet. I'm going to drop this khaki carcass. I'm going to put on a brand new body, and I've already claimed mine's going to have long blonde hair and I'm going to fly up to meet Jesus like a raptured redeemed rocket because he's going to come again because he promised me that he was coming back. Bible says as it was in the days of Noah 
It's going to be like that when I come again. I love the story of the daddy and his daughter that were out swimming in the ocean. They were good swimmers. They loved to swim. The daddy looked up and realized that the tide had carried them out until they were in great danger and they were way over their heads. And the daddy knew because it was so turbulent that if they tried to go back in, that they would fight each other and pull each other down. And the daddy did something incredible. He looked at his teenage girl and said, baby doll, daddy's taught you how to swim and you're a good swimmer. But daddy's taught you how to float. You're a good floater. You can float for hours. Baby girl, I want you to lay here on your back and float. Just look up at the beautiful sky. I'm going to go get some help. She looked at him a little strange. He said, oh, don't worry, honey. You float. I promise you I'll be back. That girl laid back on her back, began to float, said it took that daddy one hour to get into shore and secure some men, some friends to get a boat to get out and get his girl. They thought he was an abusive dad, a neglectful father. They thought, what kind of man would leave his daughter out there? We'll never find her. She's gone. But sure enough, there she was. They came over those white caps, and there she was on her back, bobbing in the waves, serenely looking up at the sky. The first man that pulled her into the boat who knew her and loved her, held her close and said, why, you're such a brave girl, but I can't believe it. You're not even shaking. You're not even trembling. Weren't you the least bit afraid? She said, why, no. My father promised me that he was coming back, and my father always keeps his promises. Well, I'm going to tell you the great God of glory has promised me this world is not my home, that I'm leaving this place to go to another place. I got good news and bad news. The bad news is the world's going to fall apart. The good news is I'm going to fly away, son. I'm leaving this place to go home. I'm telling you I'm going to be taken because there's a promise. But I'm not finished. I'm going to preach to you now. Number two, I'm going to be taken and there's a problem. First there's a promise, then there's a problem. Boy, I want you to hear this now. Look at verse 39. And I know I'm preaching what God wants me to preach. Somebody needs this. Look at verse 39. The Bible said they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Everybody say the word took. Now, buddy, that, that's a powerful word. Now, you would think the word took and the word taken mean the same thing. And in English, they're very similar. But the New Testament's written in Greek. And this is profound. You know what the word took means? Remember what I said the word taken means to remove or to seize or to carry away? Y'all know what the word took means? The word took means to be carried away in judgment. And you can read it within the context. Look again at verse 39. And they knew not until the flood came. These are people outside the ark. And carried them away in judgment. Took them away in judgment. That's what the Bible says. See, the Bible said those on the ark were safe, but those that were outside were took away in judgment. So there's a difference between took and taken. See if I can illustrate that. I was preaching at a wonderful church in the Carolinas uh, somewhere. I preach in all size churches. It's really a delight. It really is, preacher. I preach in big churches, little churches, city churches, country churches. I mean, I'm going to flat tell you, though. Size don't matter. I'd rather preach to 50 live ones than 500 dead ones any day of the week. I'm going to tell you right now. But I was preaching to this church in the Carolinas, and it was a little church preacher, a little building. It didn't seat, oh, 150 people or so. And uh, that night, we had about 100 people there. And they had them long wooden pews. You know, they go all the way to the wall. Those wooden pews. And I'm telling you, son, I'm on the front row, and right behind me was the pastor's wife, young, young family, and a little five-year-old, five- or six-year-old son. And that little boy had had a little bit too much sugar that day. Or he was A-D-D-D-D-D or something. That, that kid was all over the place. He was up and down the pew, bouncing on the end of the pew like a horsey. I mean, son, he was having a big time. 
He was playing and talking. One time, preacher, I'm singing, we're worshiping. He got down underneath the pew and slid under my shoes, started pulling my socks down. Now, friend, if, if you're not expecting that, that'd get your attention, son. I'll tell you what I thought. I did. I thought I'm way up here in the mountains. I'm, a, I'm in a snake handling church. One of them's got loose, man. That's what I thought. I'm telling you, I was about to flee, brother. And I looked down, that little kid's grinning at me, pulling my socks down underneath that pew. But here's what he did. He talked the whole service. Take me out, I want a drink. Take me out, I want a drink. Take me out, I want a drink. He kept telling mama, and mama would go, shh, 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 shh. This went on the whole music service. And finally, she'd had it, buddy. And they're singing a song like the choir did right there. Uh, Soloist is singing right before I got up to preach. And brother, he said, take me out, I want a drink. And that was it, last straw. She grabbed that little fella by the hand and took him out in front of me. And they're going out the door on the side where the restrooms are. And you could tell by the body language of both of them that it was a bad day. And it's always hilarious when it's not your kid. Yeah, oh yeah. And that little kid's putting the brakes on in front of all them people to the top of his lungs. Here's what he's saying. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. And then he said, I'm not thirsty. I'm not thirsty. I'm not thirsty. And then preacher, it hit me one day when I was reading this text. That little boy wasn't being taken. He is being took out. Everybody got it? Son, there's a difference between being taken and being took out. And I want to tell everybody something before I go any further. Everybody in this building is either going to be taken or took out. One of the two. There's no other way to preach it. Everybody under the sound of my voice, either taken or took out. Now, folks, I'm preaching to you. Somebody needs this very quickly. If you're took out, what does that mean? First of all, you've got one problem and then you've got two. Your first problem is the problem of great separation. For look what the Bible says. We've not preached that last word of verse 40 and 41. The one shall be taken and the other left. 41. The one shall be taken and the other left. I never saw this preacher until I checked the scripture. This book is perfect. Do you know that the word left has the same Greek root word as the word took? It means to be abandoned in judgment. What a profound. God wrote that. So the Bible said those that didn't get on the ark were abandoned in judgment, took out in judgment. And those that are left, God says, in this generation that is alive during the rapture will be left in judgment, will be abandoned in judgment. And I think about that, preacher, because I think about the problem of great separation. Great separation. Oh, come on. I mean, we're talking about a global event. See, our teenagers that are here today, uh, they don't remember 9-11. They've read about it. But man, it's been what? 17 years ago this year. I mean, a senior in high school was just a small child at the time. But for those of us who remember, we remember where we were. I was in Cleveland, Tennessee, studying in my room for the evening service. Got a call from my daughter who was weeping, said, Daddy, I hadn't called Mama, called you first. Turn on your television. And I turned it on just in time to see one of the towers fall. First thing I did was call my wife, because that's what we did. We called ones we loved. We didn't know what was going on. Can you imagine at the rapture? It's not just New York City, Washington, Pennsylvania. It's global. Can you imagine the rapture coming at rush hour in Atlanta, Georgia? Can you imagine some old boy driving down the road and all of a sudden this carnage is going on in front of him because drivers are going to leave cars. Pilots are going to leave airplanes. I mean, son, they're just going to be a mess. And this old boy sees wrecks going on, manages to get to the side of the road. The Mercy Lane calls his wife, but she doesn't answer. She's not there. His wife's a Christian. 
She's prayed for him, but he's lost. His wife will never answer that phone again for she's been taken and he will be took out. Here's a teenager coming home, tossing his backpack on the table, pulls his earbuds out, tosses the pack on the table, says, Mom, I'm home. I'm hungry. It's time for supper. Mom's cooking in the kitchen, but mom's not there. Her clothes are laying at the base of the sink. Food is boiling over the stove. Mom's not there. She's cooked his last meal, for she's been taken, and he'll be took out. Can you imagine the daycare where parents are coming up with policemen frantically looking for missing children? And all over the floor, there's sippy cups, and there's unopened lunches, and there's stuffed animals and toys. But those kids are not there. They've been taken, and the parents have been left behind to be took out. Why, can you imagine the fellow at the business office that witnessed everybody, and everybody thought he was nuts? Now they're looking for him in the corner office as reports come in the office from television and the internet, the radio. They can't find him. His clothes are laying in the chair. His Bible's on the desk. His wife's picture's there, but he's not there. For he's been taken and they'll be taken out. Can you imagine the saint who's dying with cancer down at the hospital? That old woman that can't get out of bed, they can't find her. All of her IVs are unplugged. They're looking under the sheets. They're looking under the bed. They can't find her. And one of the doctors says, why, she didn't have enough strength to, to walk. Honey, she ain't walking. She's called a first-class, one-way flight, courtesy of Air Jesus. And she has left this world and she has been taken. And all of those have been left. Folks, I'm telling you, I plan to be taken. Husbands are going to come home and their wives won't be there. Wives will come home and their husbands won't be there. Children will be gone. Teenagers will look for parents. Be taken. There'll be a great separation. Preacher, my daddy went home to be with the Lord January the 8th, 2017. I was preaching in my home church, the North Jacksonville Baptist Church, that morning when Daddy went home in Tampa, Florida to be with the Lord. Daddy had not talked the last seven months of his life. He was a Baptist preacher for 60 years. But his illness had so taken his body, he couldn't get out of bed, had some dementia, had neuropathy of the legs. He uh, couldn't talk. I'd only see Daddy every two or three months because I travel and I'm gone almost every week and I'd get down to Tampa as often as I could. I got some wonderful brothers and sisters that lived down there and they would keep informing me, and every time I'd look at him, Brother Shane, he'd look at me so pitifully, just stare at me. Daddy couldn't talk. I'd say, bye, Daddy. I'd kiss him on the head, but couldn't talk. Christmas time came, oh, two or three weeks before he died. My wife went down to see him four or five days before Christmas, and I told my brothers and sisters, I'm going to get Daddy a present because he loved Christmas. They said, Rick, don't, don't waste your time. Just, you just come. Don't waste your time. And Rick, he, he, he doesn't understand you, and he doesn't speak. He hadn't spoken since July. This is December. Or had spoken since June. This is December. I said, I'm getting him something anyway. I didn't get him much, preacher. I went to Walmart and got him a, a pair of sweatpants that he, you know, laid, all, laid around in that bed in that wheelchair and sweatshirt. Got him a card. My wife Judy and I rolled him out of that solarium that day. We were the only ones there. Daddy's so feeble, he couldn't open the card. And I opened it and read it to him. Then I reached in that bag and said, Daddy, I got you something. And I pulled it out. My daddy looked at me. And that bottom of his chin began to quiver. My daddy said, thank you. Just as clear as thank you. That was, that was Christmas, man. Daddy said, thank you. First words he'd said since June. Two weeks later, my daddy was in heaven. And I thought about this preacher because it was my daddy that introduced me to Jesus. One day I'm going to be on the streets of gold. Maybe today. 
And I'm going to walk up to my daddy, and I just believe with all my heart, the first words I'm going to say to my daddy in heaven were the last words my daddy said to me on this earth. Thank you. Thank you for telling me about Jesus. Thank you for raising me in a Christian home. Thank you for telling me about the rapture. Because I'm not going to be separated from my family because they're saved and I'm saved and won't it be wonderful to go together. Amen, son. Problem of great separation. Then I'll give you this and I'll go to my last point. I'm just going to mention it. Problem of great tribulation. I'm, I'm closing. I didn't mean to preach the sermon. God told me to. So I need to finish. Great tribulation. I don't plan to be here for it. Say, well, Rick, I disagree with you. I think we're going through tribulation. Well, have a good time. I'm not going to do it. And I'm not going to get into pre-post and all that, what you believe and all that stuff. I don't want to miss anybody. I'm just telling everybody that this is a tribulation chapter right here. And the rapture's got to come before the tribulation. I I know the rapture's got to come before the second coming. Got to. How you know, preacher? Because I'm riding back with him on a white horse at the second coming, and I can't come back on my horse till I go get my horse. I mean, that's physics 101. I got to go up to come down. So this is a tribulation chapter. Say, what are you preaching rapture for? Preacher, because I'm from that old school fundamental group that I believe though this is a tribulation chapter, I still believe it's an excellent illustration of the rapture where he says two will be in one place, one taken, one left. And folks, if the second coming comes after the rapture and these signs are for the second coming, how close must we be to the rapture? I'm going to tell you before I close. I'm going to be gone one day, taken, because there's a promise. There's a, prior, there's a problem. And number three, there's a priority. Let me give those to you again. There's a promise, problem, priority. I'm closing right now. Next couple of minutes, next five minutes, look what it says in verse 42. Because Brother Shane, I really believe he was speaking to his disciples that day. And I really believe he wants the church to get this message. Watch therefore, 42, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. I'm going to be real blunt before I close now. Don't miss it. 43, he compares himself to a thief only in the fact that a thief comes unexpectedly. And then in 44, he says, be ye ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. All right, it's revival time, church. So before I wrap this up, I believe it's possible to be saved and not be ready for the rapture. I really do. Say, Rick, how do you know you're ready for the rapture? I'm going to give you this in just a couple of minutes. I know I'm ready for the rapture, number one, because I've been saved. Washed by the blood of the Lamb. You ready for this? Number two, I've been baptized. Some of y'all need to get baptized. Oh, yes, you do. Say, Rick, the baptism don't save you. No, it doesn't. Baptism is obedience. But I want to be an obedient child of God. To obey is better than sacrifice. Preacher, I believe we've got scores of people in our churches that got saved after they got baptized or got saved and have never been baptized. You need to get baptized. Student, you preach a 10,000-word sermon when you get baptized. You're testifying for the Lord Jesus. Can I tell you here at Maysville, you see people get saved and baptized all the time. But if you got saved after you got baptized, you need to come forward and say, I want to be a testimony for Jesus. I'm going to get baptized. Say, but Brother Rick, I've been a member of this church, and I've been serving God 20 years. What's everybody going to think? Who cares, man? We're talking about honoring the Lord. So here's what we're doing. All right, ready? I want to be saved. I want to be baptized. I want to be a church going, Bible toting, money giving, 
praying, preaching, singing, shouting, serving Christian when Jesus comes again. I don't want to pop into church four or five Sundays a year. I want to be on the front line. I don't want to be A-W-O-L. I want to be counted on when Jesus comes again. I want to be ready. There may be somebody here with unconfessed sin in your life. You're not ready. It won't keep you from going to heaven, but you'll know it at the judgment seat of Christ. Maybe you're not using your gift to serve the Lord. I want to be ready. What have we learned this morning? We're going to be taken because there's a promise. There's a problem. There's a priority. Let me close. Somebody sitting here this morning in a church where this fellow preaches, what a man of God God's given you here, where this man preaches with passion every Sunday. It's possible to sit in the Maysfield Baptist Church, a church like this, and die and go to hell from that seat right there. February the 14th, 2014. Friday night's date night. That's mine and Judy's date night. I'm going all the time. Friday night's our date night. And that year, Friday was on Valentine's. Buddy, that better be date night. So we went out. We came home and we were packing because she was going with me that week. I was preaching in Anchorage, Alaska. February. Revival in February, son. Anchorage, Alaska. That'll bless you right there, brother. 20 below zero. Anchorage, Alaska. But it was a great revival. We were packing. Preacher, 10, 10 o'clock at night, whatever it was, phone rang. Some of you remember this. My daughter Rachel called. She's weeping. She lives in Augusta. Said, Daddy, we just had an earthquake. The earthquake started in Edgefield, South Carolina, came through Augusta. Tremors were felt in Atlanta, 150 miles away. 4.1 on the scale. And that's not much in Alaska or Taiwan, but that's a lot in Augusta, Georgia. She said, Daddy, the pictures behind the TV shook. Dishes in the pantry rattled. She said, Daddy, we're having an earthquake. And my daughter was upset. Prayed with her, made sure everything was calm, calmed down, went to bed. Jen and I got up the next morning, let them sleep. We knew they'd probably stayed up late. Got to Jacksonville International Airport, flew from there to Atlanta. Because bless God, everything goes through Atlanta. Thank God the rapture. I'll not have to change planes in Atlanta at the rapture. Hallelujah. <laughs> went through Atlanta. Watch. Then we went to Minneapolis, Minnesota before we went to Anchorage. Called my daughter when we got to Minneapolis Got off the phone with her, and I'm, try, I'm not trying to be funny, teenagers. I told my wife, well, Rachel's still shook up about that earthquake. Next day, went to church. Pastor and his wife, my wife and I went out to lunch. Got home to the hotel. It's 1.30 in the afternoon in Augusta. In Maysville, it was 5.30, four hours ahead. I literally reached for the cell phone preacher to call my daughter again, and it rang as I'm touching it. I picked it up, and she was weeping, still weeping. She said, Daddy... I got saved this morning. And I said, what? She's a student minister's wife. Said, Daddy, I got saved. She said, Daddy, I've doubted my salvation for years. I've prayed 10,000 prayers, but I believed, but I've never received. Daddy, that earthquake got my attention. I realized there'll be earthquakes all over the world in the last days, the Bible says. And Daddy, I realized I was lost. Daddy, I prayed with Brian, her husband, by the couch today, got saved, walked down and made it public this morning, gonna be baptized tonight in about 30 minutes. Want you and Mama to know I'll send you a video. And preacher, I hung up the phone with her after praying with her. I thought, my daughter, my girl, preacher's daughter, granddaddy's a preacher, brother's a preacher, brother-in-law's a preacher, uncle's a preacher, surrounded by preachers, been in church all her life. 
been on the road with me for two years before. When we homeschooled our children for two years before they went to Christian school, we put them there for two years. When I first went to evangelism, they traveled all over the country, been in so many churches, worked for years at my student camp, been a secretary for my ministry, preschool director, choir member, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, there every time the doors were open, but she was lost. She got saved. And the very next week, I told a man that story. And I'm not rebuking him, but here's what he said. Rick, how'd that make you feel? I said, what? He said, how'd it make you feel your daughter was raised in your house, but she, she'd been baptized, but she was lost. I said, it don't matter. Son, one day my daughter's going to stand before Jesus Christ. And on that day, it's not going to matter who her daddy is. On that day, it's going to matter who her father is. Let me ask you a question. Who's your father? Who's your father? Who's your father? Bow with me all over the building as you're standing to your feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed all over the house. Would you do that? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Come on, Pastor and Brother David. Come to the front. Brother Phillip's coming. Our wonderful pianist is coming. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to listen carefully to me. Listen very carefully to me. God so laid this message on my heart for this second hour. I just believe somebody needs this. I want you to hear me. I'm not going to lead you in a prayer. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. There's somebody standing right there in those seats right now that will not be taken. You will be took out. Say, Rick, what, what do I need to do? I'm going to invite you to walk down this aisle. Say, I can't do that. I promise. You take one step and the peace of God will flood your heart, friend. You're among friends. It's never going to be easier than right now. Somebody ought to shout amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to walk down this aisle and come to one of these men and say this. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Some of you may be lost church members in front of everybody. What a, you understand the testimony you're going to be? And Brother Shane, I might have preached this because I really believe there's those here that need to be baptized. They need to be obedient to the Lord. And I'm going to ask you to come and take one of these men by the hand and say, I'm not ready for the rapture. I need to be baptized. I'm going to invite you to do that. I'm going to invite somebody to join this church. Obedience brings revival. Step out and join this church today. But while all that's going on, preacher, I want to do one more thing. I know you can pray at your seat. I'm going to preach to the body the next two nights. And then beginning with Tuesday and Wednesday night, we're going to preach for a harvest. And I'm going to invite you to bring a lost name to this altar. And get on your knees around this altar. And pray for that lost soul. That we'll get them here this week or you'll get them here this week. And God will open that door on Tuesday or Wednesday night. That's the invitation, friend. It's simple. Somebody needs to be saved. Somebody needs to come and say, preacher, I need to get baptized. Somebody needs to come and say, I was like Rick's daughter. I'm a lost church member. Somebody needs to come and get on your knees and pray for a lost soul. I'm going to invite you all over the building. Only service, I'm going to invite you to do that. And I'm going to invite somebody to do business with God. God. Thank you for the privilege to preach today. God, you are so here in mighty power. What a wonderful church this is. They've already refreshed me today. God, right now during this invitation, would you move and we'll praise you, God, as believers gather at this altar to pray for the lost. God, I pray you'd save somebody today. Bring somebody to you in baptism today. Some believer that's not living for you, I pray, God, you'd touch them and revive them today. If this would be the last service today, God, may we get ready for the rapture. And I pray this prayer believing. In Jesus' name I pray. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, not because this is a secret. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The music's beginning right now. 
just as the music begins, I'm going to ask believers to come first. We're going to pray for the lost. Is there somebody you want to bring to the altar by name? The altar's open. And I'm going to invite somebody to come today and take one of our men by the hand and say, I need Jesus. I need to be saved. I'm going to invite somebody to come and say, I need to be baptized. You say, Rick, I've got a position in this church. What's everybody going to think? I really believe, I really believe there's people that need to be saved in this service. And I believe there's somebody that needs to come for believer's baptism. Come on. Say, Rick, if I do that, it's going to shock my wife. If I do that, it's going to shock my husband. Some of you might have been saved somewhere and you still not made it public. Said, I want to be baptized. So many have come for prayer. No one has come to be saved. No one has come, I don't believe, for any other decision. God knows your heart. In a minute, we're all going to sing that song together. Is there somebody needs to come? Step out and come right now. Turn to the person next to you and say, would you walk down that aisle with me? I need to come. Come on. Folks are still moving. Folks are still coming. God has rung your bell this morning. And boy, you need to respond to the Lord. Say, I'm coming right now. Pastor's praying with one who's come. Brother David's here. Who else would come right now to to Brother David and say, Brother David, I, I need to get right with God right now. I'm inviting you to do it. Amen. Somebody else? Philip's going to lead us all in just a moment. Going to be out of here in just a little while. Who else would come? Look this way. Look this way. We're going to sing that, brother. Everybody's going to sing it. I want you to lift your voice and sing it. Pastor's free now. Brother David's free right now. We're going to sing it together, church. And as we sing it, say, Rick, I'm not going to come now. Everybody's looking. I got news for you. God's looking. Jimmy, cool student. You hear me? Macho man, dignified woman. God's looking. I'm going to invite you to step out. Join those who've already come right now as we sing together. There is a fountain filled Anybody else? Join these who've already come. Some are being counseled with. How about you? Somebody wants to talk with you today. Come on. And sinners plunge beneath Someone else. As God continues to move in the house. Come on. Say, I'm coming right now. Are you ready for the rapture? You're ready for the rapture. We're still singing. After this, I'm going to turn it over to the man of God. One more verse, sing it. What a wonderful move of the Spirit of God we've had today in both services. Don't miss the rapture. What if this were the last service this side of heaven? The last church service this side of heaven. Anybody? Anybody else? Wash all 